Blog Talk Radio. Kingway, Fox, Beer, Locker's acting very weird. Captain Pike, Cisco's wife, Klingons, and the afterlife. Boimler, Tendy's dog, Ransom is very hot. Four drive, Black Alert, Giorgio has gone berserk. Teacher, bad left, Edward is an idiot, Fuck is dead, Wolf is wed, Chekhov's wearing red. Peter's cat, Kim Pack's hat, you is had enough of that. Beam me up, make it so, everybody let's go. We know Good evening, Trekkies and Trekkers around the globe. Welcome to Trek Talking, Jolan True. I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim. And I just love that theme song, you know? I loved the one we had before, but I had so much fun writing that one. It was a blast. It really, really was. Trying to get all of the different Star Treks represented in one song, I loved it. It was, I, In fact, I had so much fun doing it, I think I want to go and do the entire song. It was that much fun. And, of course, I think Eric did an excellent job in recording it for us, so thank you very much, Eric. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. <laughs> so I just wanted to get that out of the way. It's a, a cold and dark and icy um, evening here in Vermont, but that's okay because we're going to have some Trek talking fun. Our phone number here is 646-668-2433. We're going to be talking about the neutral zone. We're back. And we're also going to be talking about the enemy, both episodes of TNG that centered on the Romulan. So if you're a Romulan fan or a TNG fan, you want to hang out and uh, give us a call at 646-668-2433 and chat with us. I have with me, as usual, my Trek Spurts, and we'll start off with Eric. He's out in Portland. How are you doing tonight, Eric? Uh, I'm doing pretty good tonight, guys. We are uh, in the big melt right here uh, after the big storm, what, four days ago now? I know all over the country we've got weather stuff like crazy. Um, I feel pretty lucky we never lost power. And we're uh, we're almost melted out here, so ready to talk about some Star Trek tonight. And we got a lot. And we also have with us Charles. Charles is out in Las Vegas. How you doing tonight, Charles? I'm doing good. <clears throat> Where most of the country got stuck with got stuck with snow. Today we got stuck with wind. And you're thinking, oh, you got a little bit of wind. No, we got gusts from about 40 to 70 miles an hour. I think they were trying to blow the city about an inch south of where it's now. Wow. So, but the wind is, the wind, we still had wind for, light, lighter wind for the rest of the week, and things are calming down, and the weather's starting to actually get hot. Wow. Well, I think uh, the groundhog said we're going to have six more weeks of winter, so I'm going to hold them to it. Let's hope the end of March it all goes away. <laughs> Anyways, guys, as you know, we always start off the show with 
are going around the globe by the numbers. But first, I just want to say that last week uh, we jumped all the way up to 33,000 uh, people. Uh, we gained 2,000. But this week we jumped up to 35,000 followers. So that's 4,000 followers in two weeks. That's incredible. Wow. <laughs> that's so, amazing. Wow. Thank you. That's just Wow and wow. I don't know where you're wow. from. That's great. It's <laughs> incredible. So if you guys are listening and you wanna become part of our Trek family, you can do so by heading over to Facebook.com backslash Trek Talking and A and D Beyond. Spell that all out. Give us a like, give us a follow, and join our family. We'd love to have you. So with that out of the way, Eric, let's go around the globe. What do you say? Absolutely, Jim. That sounds great. So as always, about 75% of our listeners come domestically from the United States, but in our number one international spot this week, hold and steady is the UK with 4.63% of our listeners. Now, if you've been paying attention, they keep climbing and they are approaching that, uh, that ever uh, almost unattainable threshold of 5%. So we'll have to see what they do next week, but they're at 4.63 this week. So thank you folks from the UK. In our number two spot, we've got Australia, the folks down under from 3.5% of our listeners, which is about where they were last week. So thank you all for listening to us as well. In our number three spot, uh, I believe it was last week they made it into the three spot. Uh, our brothers and sisters to the north, Canada, still there, now climbing with 2.91% of our listeners. Uh, that means with all that climbing, somebody had to fall a little bit, but still in that number four spot is Norway with 2.66% of our listeners. So thank you so much to our Scandinavian listeners. And in the number five spot, Ireland, 2.3% of our listeners, just about where they were last week. So uh, thank you so much to all of our listeners, both uh, domestic and international. We really appreciate it all. All the new listeners, all the new likes on the Facebooks. Woo! Loving it. Thank you so much. Yes, that is awesome. And as I said, if you guys want to become part of our family, visit us on Facebook, and you'll see the Live Long and Prosper at the top of the page. And just tell us where you're listening from. Every week, I turn around and I pick 15 lucky fans. If you see a heart next to your name from Trek Talk, and that means Uncle Jim has chosen you, and uh, your name will be on the next show. So without any further ado, Eric, why don't you get us started with our individual fan shout-out? I absolutely will. And just remember, folks, that we do our best with all of our international listeners' names and places they come from. So please forgive us. <laughs> if we don't totally nail your name or where you come from, we do our best. So saying that, our first fan shout-out this week goes to Gauri Abrahim. And I'm saying that he lives in Secunderabad, Telangana, India. So Gauri, all the way from India listening to us. That is something really special. So thank you so much. Big shout out goes out to you this week. We're also giving a big shout out to our fan, Sebastian Zudveg. He's hailing from the Netherlands in Europe. I was just telling a great story. I'll tell you all sometime about a, a Dutch friend of mine. So thank you so much, Sebastian, for listening to us all the way from the Netherlands. Marcelo Pederos from Higueras City in Chile. Wow, all the way down in South America. Marcelo, thank you so much for listening to us. And Anya Na, 
comes from Magdenburg, Germany, one of those great German listeners. We've had a pretty steady stream of you all, too, and thank you so much for being here with us, Anya. And the final one on my list this week is Jan Marius Kruger from the Federal Republic of Germany in the EU. Thank you, Jan Marius Kruger. Love to have all of you along for the ride. Charles, who's on your list this week? Yeah, let's start off with Siri McCruin from Geelong, Australia. And maybe one of his friends, Greg Gibson from Tasmania, Australia. Would love to visit Australia one day. Robin Hudson from Western Colorado. Pamela Fossil, Germany, which is one of our top fans right now. Also a top fan of Daryl Jones from Wales, UK, from the United Kingdom. Oh, I want to go back to the UK. Jim, what about you? Well, I'm going to wrap up our fan shout-outs by saying a big hearty kapla to Robin Scott from Vermont represent. I don't know Robin Scott, but uh, maybe one of these days I'll run into Robin Scott up at Treconderoga if they ever do it again. And Robin can touch my bat list and hang out with the really cool Klingon. Who knows? But thank you very much for listening, Robin Scott. We really appreciate it. We'd also like to say hello and thank you to Chris Bruce from Kingston, Ontario, Canada. Thank you for listening. And top fan, Ivan Cumberbatch from Barbados. Tim Bridges from Georgia right here in the U.S. of A. And finally, last but definitely not least, Carrie Campbell from Colum Beach, Queensland, Australia. Good day, mate. From down under. I wonder if any of these people in Australia know the Australian deed. I'm positive that one of them does. I'm positive. (laughs) Yep, I hope so. So after we get done with our fan shout-outs, we always go to the birthdays. And this week we have a strange situation, something that I don't think has happened before. Mm -hmm. Um, We always start off the birthdays with Eric remembering the members of our Star Trek family that are no longer with us anymore. And usually Eric's list is, is huge compared to what Charles and I have. But, on well, I guess it's not unfortunate. Fortunately, I guess, this week, Charles and I have three times as many birthdays as Eric does. But that's okay. So let's play the birthday song, and we'll jump right in. That was not a Klingon song. Okay, Eric, take it away. All right. Well, our first remembrance this week goes out to Paul Sorensen, who played the captain of the Merchantman vessel, uh, which was the Genesis smuggling vessel in Star Trek III. So happy birthday and remembrances go out to Paul Sorensen this week. We're also saying happy birthday and remembrances to Briona Farrell, who played uh, the character of Tula in the TOS episode, Return of the Archons, uh, one of the, I think, one of those most quintessential episodes of TOS that sticks in my mind when I think of TOS episodes. And she was 
a great character. So uh, we miss Breonna Farrell this week. We're also thinking about uh, a couple of people from the same episodes, and I think a couple of heavy hitters from those episodes uh, had both had birthdays this week. Uh, the first we're remembering is Meg Wiley, who played the Keeper uh, in the TOS episodes The Cage and the Menageries 1 and 2. The Keeper was, of course, uh, the main television uh, who interacted with Pike uh, and Vina throughout all of those episodes. So pretty pretty iconic Star Trek with the, the bulbous head and the vein and everything and the voice um, and just a great performance in that role. So happy birthday and remembrance is going out to Meg Wiley. And then my final one this week is another one uh, from the same episodes, Susan Oliver, who of course played the character of Vina in The Cage and in The Menagerie. And Vina was the, the woman who was used to sort of woo Pike, uh, who he later finds out, spoiler alert, uh, is actually terribly scarred and has been there for a really long time. And I think there are some nice things that happen uh, with Discovery. Uh, we learn a little bit more about Vina, who's of course a different actress, but the actress that we saw portrayed in The Cage and The Menagerie, Susan Oliver, would have been her birthday this week. So we miss her as well. So Charles, uh, why don't you start that long list of birthdays of people who are still with us? All right. This first one I'm definitely going to have fun with. First, we have Kurt Thatcher, which was one of the associate producers in Star Trek Four: The Voyage Home. And you're going to say, well, yes. But, Commander Charles, why do we care about associate producer? Because his associate producer played the iconic character of the rock, the punk rocker on the bus. And I bet you Jim's yeah. got a soundbite. And for you, for those of you who don't remember who this guy is, here's a little reminder, and you'll remember instantly. Great scene. Great scene. Love that scene. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 there's an interesting story with the fact that they, I guess, couldn't find an actor to play him. But since Leonard Nimoy had hired him, he decided to let he, uh, let Kurt actually do the part. And Kurt, I think, had a part in actually making the song. Mm-hmm. went in there. Oh, that's but cool. it's just such memorable that a character, somebody put a, put a character like that in there that everybody remembers. Mm-hmm. As we yeah, move on, he, he Frank Collins... He didn't actually have a line in the movie either. He just kind of gave him the finger... But he's such a memorable character that I had to put him in the birthdays and I had to play the soundbite. So I hope you guys enjoyed it. Oh, mm-hmm. thank you. <laughs> Definitely you need to be in there. Definitely. Here we got Frank Collinson, who played Gold Dolan from TNG's episode Ensign Row. 
Jerry Jackson, who played Andrea in the TOS episode, What Are Little Girls Made Of? <clears throat> then we got Stephen Manley, who played Fox in the Star Trek episode, uh, Star Trek, Star Trek 3, the first for Fox, playing Steam. They're one of these characters who actually got to play Fox in there in a different time frame. We got Christopher McDonald. <laughs> He's playing Lieutenant Richard Castillo from TNG's Yesterday's Enterprise. Elaine Bry, a doctor. Far, far all on <clears throat> in TNG's The Quality of Life. Catherine Varel played in the episode of Discovery, Magic That Makes Sanus Man, Man Go Mad, and played the iconic Stella. <laughs> my, my beloved Stella. Mud. Uh, it was it was fun to see her show up in the series, even if just for a few minutes. <laughs> we got Neo McDougan, who played Lieutenant Hawk in Star Trek First Contact. We got Andrew Robinson, played plain, simple El- Elm Garrett. Oh, Garrick, what a character. They still didn't do enough with him. There was still a lot more they could have done with that character with he and the doctor. Can you imagine a a Star Trek Garrick show? Oh, that was interesting when we talked about in one of the comics where it's like, Oh, the cameras in the station didn't work. Yeah, but this cameras work. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And one more on my side that I'm definitely glad to see on there. Gary O'Connell, who's like Commander Jack Ransom in the Lower Deck series, who's wife to the future number the number one in Strange New World. Yes, and a lot of people like know him. Number one and a number one in the same family. Uh-huh. He he was he he was in Stand By Me with Will Wheaton. Um, and he was he was Liars. also in Sliders as well, another <laughs> old T V show that I used to watch. He he shows up everywhere. But I'm glad that he's on mm-hmm. Star Trek now. And by yeah. the way, hello, 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 Shannon. I hear your voice. Hi guys. Hey, Shannon. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Shannon is here. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. Yeah. Uh, Anytime. Good to hear you, Shannon. Okay, Jim. We what always have you? a seat for Shannon. That's right. Okay, Jim. There's, get a there's always room for Shannon. Okay, so I've yeah, got a couple yeah. of birthdays to talk yeah, about. Deep breath and be ready. Here we go. So <laughs> we're going to start off with 
Alan Miller, who uh, played McCoy's contact in Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. He, well, I'm going to play a soundbite because I think you're going to know this guy too. Your planet, welcome. I think that's my line, stranger. Oh, forgive. I hear I'm new, but you are known being McCoy from Enterprise. You have me at a disadvantage, sir. I name not important. You seek I. Message received. Available ship stands by. How much and how soon? How soon is now? How much is where? Somewhere in the Mutara sector. Oh, Mutara restricted. Take permits, many, money, more. There aren't going to be any damn permits. How can you get a permit to do a damn illegal thing? Look, price you name, money I got. Place you name, money I name, otherwise bargain, no. All right, damn it. It's Genesis. The name of the place we're going is Genesis. Genesis? Yes, Genesis. How can you be deaf with ears like that? Genesis allowed is not. It's planet forbidden. Look, backwards, friend. Genesis may be planet forbidden, but I'm damn well... Sir, I'm sorry, but your voice. Ah, so I hope I hope that yeah. we've had some good scenes for you guys uh, tonight. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've had some great birthdays. Those are both very memorable. Um, one from Star Trek Three and one from Star Trek Four. So happy birthday to Alan Miller. Uh, the next birthday is one of my favorites. I I want to say that this might be one of the first Star Trek episodes I ever saw. At least one of the first ones I remember seeing. There was a few of them that I are etched in my memory, but this is definitely one of them. And uh, we're going to say happy birthday to Bobby Clark, who played the Gorn captain from ah. <laughs> EOS, the arena. In fact, he's so awesome that they actually have the Gorn rock. That, that yeah. a lot of people go and get their pictures mm-hmm. taken at. Um, yep. So, yeah, happy birthday to Bobby Clark, our favorite, favorite Gorn. Uh, the next one, this one is unique because uh, at the time, there were only four Star Trek shows that were uh, on at the time, and this actor had the pleasure of appearing on all four Star Trek shows at the time, which is a pretty unique thing when you think about it at, for, for an extra to do um we'd like to say happy birthday to michael ensign who played dr orat in the enterprise episode stigma he played a character named bard on the voyager episode false prophets i think false prophets is the one with the ferengi i think yes yes i remember correctly um he played ambassador lojal on deep space nine's episode the forsaken which I think is the one where where they where Odo befriends a Jem Hadar, but they don't know it's a Jem Hadar. Maybe I think I might. Be. Oh, yeah. I'm not remembering. I, yeah, I'm not sure, but 
feel and, like Luak's um, on a Troy is involved in that one somehow. Yeah, that might be. Um, there's a lot of episodes. And, uh, also, yeah. we played Minister Krola on the TNG episode, First Contact. Um, so he's he's been in quite a few Star Trek episodes over the years uh, from all different shows, and that's a very singular distinction. So happy birthday to Michael Ensign. Believe it or not, guys, we have to take our first commercial break of the evening for our listeners over at Odyssey Aww. Radio. Um, but don't worry. We'll be right back, and we still have some more birthdays to talk about, so don't touch that dial. We'll be right back after we hear this message from my friend TJ over at Freakopolis Geekery. This podcast is brought to you in part by the Freakopolis Geekery, the premier upstate New York comics and game shop. Centrally located between Saratoga Glens Falls, Ticonderoga, and Rutland, Vermont, the Geekery is a haven for pop culture and science fiction fans. For Star Trek fans, the Geekery features board games like Ascendancy, as well as awesome gaming titles like Star Trek Adventures RPG from Modifius, Star Trek Away Team Zero Clicks, and of course, Star Trek Attack Wing Ship-to-Ship Tactical Combat for the Tabletop. The Geekery hosts casual play sessions, learn-to-play sessions, and sanctioned organized play tournaments with limited edition prize support. You'll also find comics and trade paperbacks at Freakopolis, including Star Trek titles from IDW. Lots of issues are in stock, and special orders are no problem. Whether you visit in person by shuttlecraft or beam in online to Freakopolis.com, you'll find yourself right at home at the Freakopolis Geekery. And we're back, and we're doing Star Trek birthdays. We're right in the middle of a rather lengthy list, so I'm going to continue on. We want to say happy birthday to Nancy Youngblunt, who played Telon in the Voyager episode Displaced and Koana in the DS9 episode, Once More, Unto the Breach. She was the Klingon that was on um, Kor's Bird of Prey who took on an entire wing of Jem'Hadar on his own. Excellent, excellent episode. Really good episode. Um, we also want to say happy birthday to Leslie Beavis, who played Ronage in the DS9 episode, Homecoming, The Abandoned and Broken Link. I don't remember... What, who that character is off the top oh, yeah, of the Yeah, that one's not ringing a bell. Yeah, she played the same character in three episodes, but I don't remember her. It sounds like a Klingon. Well, no, might not be a Klingon. But anyways, happy birthday to Leslie Peter. <laughs> now, this next one here, uh, Zach Galligan, who played David Gentry, last Species 8472, in the Voyager episode, In the Flesh. However, I don't think that's the role that you're going to know him from. He, I actually met him in, at a convention and had him sign a poster. He's, he's known for a movie, Bright Light, Bright Light. He uh, mm-hmm. hung out with Gizmo. And, of course, I'm talking oh about Gremlins. He starred in <laughs> Gremlins in 1984. And I had him sign a wow. Gremlins poster for me. So uh, happy birthday to Zach Galligan. I think that his uh, his thirty second appearance in Voyager uh, is way overshadowed by Gremlins. So happy birthday mm-hmm. to Zach. Um, the next one that I want to say happy birthday to is Farin Tahir, who played Captain Richard Rabu in Star Trek 2009. He was the captain of the USS Kelvin. One of my favorite. See, I love the Kelvin. 
And I love the way they introduce it in Star Trek 2009. And I thought he was a really cool captain. He left Thor in command when he left uh-huh. the ship. It was pretty cool. Because <laughs> later on, he battles Iron Man in an Iron Man movie. So he's got a lot of ties to, <laughs> to Marvel movies, if you guys weren't aware of that. A lot of connections there. So happy birthday. The next two are just blow my mind off. So we want to say happy birthday to Simon Pegg. Now, we are celebrating Simon Pegg as Scotty from the Kelvin movies. And I I personally think he did an excellent job playing Scotty. Um, But Simon Pegg has been in so – he was in Paul which is one of my favorite sci-fi movies, I guess you want to say. I love Paul. In fact, I could see myself in Paul. That would be me cruising around in an RV with an alien. I just, I love him in Paul. And Simon Pegg has just been in so many other movies. I just, I couldn't name them all. He's a very established actor. He's, he's, he's incredible. And happy birthday to Simon Pegg. Now, speaking of awesome engineers and legendary engineers, uh, the next guy whose, whose birthday is this week, Scotty had to remind him that in order to be a miracle worker, you have to always multiply your repair estimates by a factor of four. That's buffer time. And, uh, yeah, you, you got to do it. And uh, at, at first, I think him and Scotty weren't getting along, but I think by the end, they saw eye to eye. No bloody A, no bloody B, no bloody C, no bloody D. <laughs> And uh, I'm talking about none other than the awesome LeVar Burton, who played Jordy LaForge on TNG. So happy birthday to LeVar Burton. So, well, wow. say, uh, star, actor, sir, and also came from a small PBS show known as Reading Rainbow. Uh-huh. Yep. But I may yeah. not have been old enough to be as a kid watching it, but got a chance to watch it after work and loved what he did in that series, encouraging kids to read. So, uh-huh. well, I think cool. there was yeah. somebody before him because he was at like there was somebody else on it when I was growing up, oh, and he took it over. But he became the Reading Rainbow guy. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. He's the only one that I that I remember seeing on it that I, that doesn't mean, doesn't mean that it wasn't, you know, I just, but again, again, I wasn't a huge, I didn't run home to watch reading rainbow. So I, I can't really, I can't say, but anyway, he hosted it for over 20 years. I know. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. That was our rather lengthy birthday. Can you believe it? Wow. So big. But there so were some really good ones our in there. Star Trek news section. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Incoming transmission. Enter authorization code. Command codes verified. Define parameters of program. Level nine authorization required. Specify parameters. Transfer of data is complete. So, um, we have some breaking news that just dropped this afternoon, so I need to put this at the top of the show because I didn't have time to actually put it as a news story for one of us to read, and it's going to kind of throw off 
some of the other news stories that were breaking news before this breaking news dropped. But production has begun on Star Trek Picard Season 2. It's official. After a few delays, the second season of Paramount Plus series Star Trek Picard began production this week. Actually, it was yesterday. On Wednesday, Picard actress Michelle Hurd took an Instagram to share a photo of her notebook and a card with her character name, Rafi, along with a face mask, reminding us how the show is being shot under new COVID protocols. Her message was, back to work, and it feels good. And we're setting a record because in the first time of the 55-year history of Star Trek, we have not one, not two, not three, not even four, but five, count them, five Star Trek shows currently in production. Never happened before. Five. So for the people that say that Star Trek's not popular, people aren't watching it, blah, 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 pooey. We have five shows coming. Now, two of them are animated, Star Trek Lower Decks and Star Trek Prodigy. And then we have three live-action shows. We have Star Trek Discovery. We have Star Trek Picard. We have Star Trek Strange New Worlds. So it's a great time to be a Star Trek fan. You can read that entire article on our Facebook page. By the way, I should have prefaced this whole thing with that. All the articles that we're going to talk about now can all be found in their entirety on our Facebook page. So I'm going to jump right in and start with the story I was going to start with. Uh, This is a leftover from last week, but that's okay. Uh, Star Trek Michelle Nichols' final project isn't a fan film. The legendary Nichelle Nichols and Walter Koenig are teaming up for Renegade's Omara, but don't call it a Star Trek fan film. Nichelle Nichols is about to retire from acting forever, but her final project will be a time and space spanning adventure that will find her co-starring alongside new actor Lauren Lott playing her younger self. But Lott is not playing a younger version of Nyota Uhura from Star Trek, but instead a new sci-fi anti-hero called Omanara. Frank Zanuck, producer of Renegade's Omanara, tells Den of Geek, because Michelle has Alzheimer's and is retiring, we kind of wanted to give her a send-off instead of a horror. It's Omanara, and she's the captain of her own ship. She's built herself into a pirate, and Michelle is playing her older version, and she's like the head of the underworld at that point in the future. In Renegade's Omanara, Star Trek thing, or what? The short answer is no. But it has roots in a 2015 fan film called Star Trek Renegade, which, like the new film and its sequel, was directed by Voyager star Tim Russ, currently being funded by Kickstarter. Russ and Zanka see Omanara as a backdoor pilot to a possible new TV series and are hopeful that a network like the CW might be impressed enough to pick it up. So we'll have to wait and see what happens with that. So good luck to Michelle. Charles, what do you got for us? Oh, Uncle Jim strikes again. As we usually say, Shatner says, what? (laughs) Brian Shatner reveals the only way he would consider returning to Star Trek. There are a few few actors as iconic as William Shatner in the science fiction genre. Over the course of seven decades, long career, he has appeared in multiple sci-fi cornerstones, 
including Twilight Zone, Tech War, Third Rock to the Sun, and most famously, the Star Trek franchise. This portray a Captain Kirk captivated uh, audience across television and films for a long time. But it's been over 25 years since he last appeared on screen as captain of the USS Enterprise. And he hasn't sounded all that enthused about ever returning. However, the actor revealed the only way he would consider replies in the role in, the fame, in his most famous role. In a recent interview with Inverse, William Shatner noted that he is not necessarily 100% against the air reprising the role of James C. Kirk, but the collective team involved would have to follow some pretty specific parameters in place for him to agree. If they wrote an interesting role and they could explain the 55-year difference, I might consider it. But at the moment, I'm busy and Star Trek is in my past. There's so many spin-offs of legendary franchises being developed in just the recent years. I wouldn't be surprised if there'd be there was a spec ship floating around that actually set up the return of James T. Kirk. So like William Shatner said, it had to be pretty damn good to get him back on board. And I think he admitted in an article I saw this week that He's only spent a small percentage of his career on screen as Captain Kirk, and yet what he's well known for. Uh-huh. So, we never know. I'd be curious what will happen to him in time or not. Eric, I bet you have some discovery news. Oh, man, I am very excited about this discovery news uh, because uh, this was probably my favorite short trek i would say out of all of them showrunners promise star trek discovery will fit together with calypso canon that's right uh in late yeah i know i did that's really good news uh because there's some questions i have uh in late 2018 (laughs) the second episode of star trek short treks retold an ancient greek myth on board the uss discovery after it had been abandoned for a millennia Michael Chabon's first Trek script told a captivating story about a future soldier named Kraft fighting a a war against the Vidresh, finding himself aboard the Discovery, which is being run at that time by a sentient AI named Zora, who has a thing for old movies. Instead of just leaving that short Trek's episode as a standalone thing, co-runner Alex Kurtzman said that they wanted to lean into it for season three, but he also admitted there is more connecting to do. We definitely knew that we wanted to connect Calypso to Discovery, and obviously we did because we did it in Calypso. Calypso ends with a big open mystery, which is how did the, this voice end up on the ship, and why is the ship empty? So we have a lot to answer there. We love connecting Discovery to the Trek in the short treks. And speaking to inverse Discovery showrunner Michelle Paris, or Paradise excuse me, got even more specific. She said, Calypso has now become part of our canon, and it takes place far beyond our time now, even in season three. Boom, there it is. And yet, eventually, we'll have to find our way there. So that short, in the grand scheme of things, fits together as a piece. It's certainly, in certainly season three, we were beginning to see the process with Zora, who isn't quite the Zora that we saw in Calypso, but 
we were getting that process started a little bit of her sparkling to life in episode four and then coming in and having a bit more of a presence in episodes 12 and 13. So we're starting our way there. There's also a little bit of a wrinkle here. In season three, this is the one that I have questions about, the USS Discovery mm-hmm. was given a major 32nd century refit, which also includes a new designation as NCC 1031A. <clears throat> Both inside and out, this updated Discovery no longer matched the USS Discovery seen in Calypso, which of course was the original version. The showrunners appear to confirm that there's a direct linear connection between Discovery and Calypso, with Paradise indicating that it, quote, takes place far beyond our time, meaning well into the future beyond the 32nd mm-hmm. century. Season four of Discovery is in production now, and it's a reasonable bet it will have more connections, especially with the sphere data evolving into Zora. And so, wow, you guys, that blows my mind because when we first talked about this, we talked about that, oh, maybe maybe this thing with craft happened just a little bit before uh, when the Discovery shows up, you know, because they said a thousand years into the future, but but they actually meant a thousand years beyond where they were going to end up after that. So that is mm-hmm. pretty cool that that's been confirmed now. Yeah, so that's like way way in the future. <laughs> yeah, we're talking 40, 42nd century. So, yeah, that's that's some yeah. intense stuff right there. I'm so, what that it. means, I mean, what it means, guys, is that, like, there wasn't some degradation of the Federation to the point of them being called the Madrash by some other group of people that wanted to fight a war against them in the discovery that we now see. But what it means is that somehow the Federation that is now developing in discovery becomes the enemy of craft in the future. And so I'm particularly interested in how that all goes down. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. Definitely. Maybe he's like the Marquis. Yeah, maybe. Maybe he is. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a good call there. Yeah. It's definitely going to be interesting. So uh, my story, which Kind of is not a big story now, but our production on Star <laughs> Trek Strange New Worlds appears to be imminent. The fourth season of Star Trek Discovery went into production last November. Picard is about to start on season two. started yesterday. And now it looks like a third live-action Star Trek show is gearing up to start shooting as well. While there has been no official word from CBS or executive producers on exactly when Strange New Worlds will start, it started today, <laughs> um, uh, there have been indications from social media and industry sites that the series began pre-production in late 2020 in Toronto, Canada. Ethan Peck posted a couple of pictures from Toronto on Friday showing just how cold and snowy it is there. When asked by one of the fans on Instagram if there were to be shooting Strange New Worlds, Peck replied with a wrinkled face emoji. The timing for Peck to be in Toronto now for rehearsals, beginning with quarantine, would make sense schedule-wise if the show is starting production the last week of this month, as indicated by a trusted industry site. Assuming Strange New World stays on schedule, and Picard also starts soon, it started yesterday, Paramount Plus will soon have three live-action Star Trek shows in production simultaneously. All three should be able to wrap up a season this year, but it is unclear as to when they will make their appearance on Paramount Plus. So far, the only show confirmed for this year is season two of the animated series Star Trek Lower Decks and the premiere of the animated kids series Star Trek Prodigy on Nickelodeon. So we knew about Prodigy, and 
I don't think it's it's strange that um, that uh, Lower Decks is going to premiere first because they kind of pushed that way up this year with the COVID. So we saw season one of Lower Decks before we saw Discovery, and I think they're going to do that again. Mm-hmm. I think we'll see Prodigy, and I think Prodigy will lead into Lower Decks. And I'm if I was a betting man. With, with these three shows, I'm pretty sure that we're going to see one of them by the end of 2021. And the reason why I say that is because Paramount CBS All Access turning over to Paramount Plus and with all those climbing the Paramount Mountain commercials that featured Star Trek very heavily, they were narrated by Patrick Stewart. We played all those clips on last week's show. I think that when they make that switch to Paramount Plus, on the March 4th, they're going to want to really capitalize on Star Trek, and they're going to want to give Star Trek fans a reason to subscribe to Paramount+. Plus. And I think you'll see one of these shows, probably maybe Discovery, uh, show up on Paramount+, Plus at the end of this year. Because I think Discovery is the one that clo- is furthest along. But... Uh, like I said, there's nothing written in blood yet. They, have, they haven't put anything out. But I think they're going to want to get some new Star Trek on Paramount Plus in 2021. So, we'll yeah. see. I would hope so. So, Eric, what do you got for us? Well, I've got a super cool story about one of our new favorite directors uh, in Star Trek. Famous for its history of diversity, Star Trek gets its first black female director. Now, that sounds like an old headline, but this, this article's new, and it updates some of the information we know about this woman. So, Hanalee Culpepper, the first African-American mm-hmm. woman to direct an episode of, Star Trek's, of, the Star, of a Star Trek series, grew up about as culturally distant from Hollywood as, well, Earth is from Mr. Spock's home planet of Vulcan. Culpepper, who makes a comfortable living directing for television, says she hopes her experience with Star Trek Picard, she directed the first three of ten episodes, and a second season has already been green-lighted, will lead to new pilot opportunities. She also plans to direct more features. It's also an important moment for the Star Trek franchise, which has struggled in recent years, lagging far behind in both revenue and cultural weight of the cinematic confections of Star Wars and the ever-expanding Marvel Universe. The first three episodes show Culpepper's deft camera work with sun-drenched lingering shots of retired Starfleet Admiral Picard's vineyard and seamless computer-generated imagery. The storyline involves a nefarious Romulan plot and synthetic twins with ties to the much-loved artificial intelligence character Data from Star Trek The Next Generation. Star Trek Discovery is CBS All Access's most popular show, and Culpepper believes Picard can resonate with a new generation of fans. Hopefully, she said, the world will love it. Um, and I think that the world has loved season one. And I think that she did just a fantastic job with the episodes that we have seen so far. Honestly, mm-hmm. I've, I've mm-hmm. been super impressed mm-hmm. with her work. I wasn't really well, familiar with her before Star Trek. But uh, I'm loving what I'm seeing. Well, when they say and, the first three episodes. That's the arc we got to see in Hollywood. And sure that was. was a yes. good awesome. arc in there of that series. Yeah, pretty good opener. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of fans pointed out with this article um, that, well, she's not the first black director, and that's true because LeVar Burton and Michael Dorn have both directed episodes of Star Trek, but 
The article mm-hmm. didn't say first black director. It says first black female director. And the reason why this yep. article is relevant is because she has been nominated for an NNAC, NAACP award. So uh-huh. it's very relevant right wow. now. And that's why I put it in there because um, it is relevant. So that's why it's there. Yep. So, Charles, what do you got for us? Oh, this one I think was a good one for me. <coughs> I'm going to choke up over it. <laughs> Billy Campbell. Billy Campbell's going to return to Star Trek. And fans are going to say, well, wait a minute, who's Billy Campbell? How about I mention the title of the outrageous Okana? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Regis O'Connor will return in Star Trek in Star Trek no, Star Trek Prodigy on mm-hmm. Nickelodeon. Yeah, Regis O'Connor is heading back to the final frontier in Star Trek Prodigy. The actor Billy Campbell made the announcement in a recent recent episode of the podcast, The Comic Book Central. Yeah, Regis O'Connor was an episode in the second season of Star Trek Next Generation. Fabian O'Connor, a lovable rogue who charmed the female crew and ended up broking, brokering peace between two warring houses on twin planets in the Omega Sagittarian system. He will have a chance to get up to more shenanigans in the new series for Nickelodeon. You mentioned Star Trek Prodigy, which he refers to as a comedy animated series. And said they're bringing back some characters from the Star Trek universe. They're like legendary characters. So my guy is coming back. Host Stubber then asked him to confirm that he meant yet Regis Okana, which Campbell replied, yes. And it's a hilarious, hilarious. Campbell gave some details about his part, saying that it was that was it, that was in it. The show's female lead goes over the moon for him, much much the charging of the male lead. And whereas we've always talked about so many series have left open holes out there that we never knew what happened, and they're going to start taking some of these new series. And fill in some of those holes. And I think it's going to be great that we're going to be tying in fans of TNG into Prodigy. And I think it's going to bring more than not just the kids in. I think that's going to bring the adults in. What? Oh, wait I want to see what they do with this character. <clears throat> so we can't wait for Prodigy to come out and see what they do with it. And I've heard a lot of positives out of Prodigy. I can't wait to see what they do with this series. Did you know he applied to be on Star Trek audition for Star Trek before? Yes. If you if you guys want to read the article, he tells a story about how he almost got the role of Riker, and uh, he wishes he could go back and change his his uh, audition, and maybe he would have been Riker instead. And you know what? When you watch that episode, Outrageous Okana. Can't you kind of mm-hmm. see that as a Riker character? 
You can see it a little bit. I think we talked about that on a previous show. Yeah, there's definitely, I mean, I think what you would lose is maybe some of the, the authoritative charm, I would say. I mean, he's pretty darn charming, Mm -hmm. but I, I must say, uh, you know, yeah. Uh, the Riker that we got is, is knocks it out of the park. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah he reminds me of Riker's um like clone. Yeah, yeah, like a yeah. like a slightly washed out version of Riker. Yeah. Yeah. Now interesting. the interesting thing about that article though is that Billy Campbell turns around and says that they're bringing back other legacy characters. Mm-hmm. Now I don't consider the outrageous O'Connor to be a really a legacy character, but uh, that means that we're going to see other characters from yeah. other Star Trek, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Oh, we know we're going to see Ooh, Barclay. Janeway. We are, we are, Barclay. Know, we know that. We to see Barkley. That would be awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, actually it's interesting because well, we're just finishing up the, the Janeway book and uh, Barkley gets a, a mention at the very, very end of that book too, which I'm very excited to discuss. So I would love to see where Barkley is these days. Yeah. So anyways, guys. Jim doesn't think this is an iconic episode, but you mentioned this episode and a lot of Star Trek fans like, Oh yeah, I remember that episode. I think it was, I think there was enough in that episode that it caught enough people's attention that I think people still think about that that episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you guys want to check out all of these articles and more, you can head over to our Facebook page at Truck Talking and A and D Beyond, and you can read all of these articles in their completion. And uh, if you wonder why these articles happen to be chosen for the host they happen to be chosen to, that's no accident. That happens on purpose. <laughs> Just some <laughs> a little planning from behind the scenes. <laughs> Believe it or not. So, anyways. We have to take another commercial break for our listeners at Odyssey Radio. For the rest of you guys, don't worry. We'll be back very, very shortly. Don't touch that dial. We're going to talk about Star Trek The Next Generation Season 1 finale episode, The Neutral Zone, right after this very quick, very awesome commercial message. Trek Talking. All things Star Trek and beyond. Thursday nights, 7.30 to 9.30, all hailing frequencies are open. iTunes, iHeart, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, and wherever fine podcasts are found. Trek Talking. Boldly going wherever your mind is willing to go. And we're back. Our number here is 646-668-2433. In keeping with our Romulan discussion, we have some uh, Romulan episodes to talk about. The first one that we're going to talk about right now is an episode entitled The Neutral Zone. It was the season one finale of the first season of Star Trek The Next Generation. Um, I just said that. (laughs) It originally aired on May 16th, 1988 and broadcast syndication. The episode originated as a piece of fan fiction by Deborah McKintry and Mona Clea and was turned into a teleplay by Marcy Hurley. Because of the 1988 Writers Guild of America strike, Hurley credited the script, uh, created the script in a day and a half. And the timescale forced both the abandonment of the idea of a two-part episode 
and the first appearance of the board, which was delayed until the following season's episode, Hugh Who. The episode introduced the redesigned Romulans with prosthetic forehead pieces designed by makeup supervisor, the awesome Michael Westmore. And the first appearance of the Romulan, the Derodex Warbird, which was designed. Yes, classic, classic ship right there, which was designer Andrew Probert's final work for the Star Trek franchise. It received Nielsen ratings of 10.2. This was the highest ratings received for the series since Symbiosis 4 episodes earlier. Mark Alamo appeared in his first appearance on Star Trek as the Romulan commander. All right, guys. All right, I'm going to put you on a spot. Who is Mark Alamo most known for in the Star Trek world? Golden Cop, baby. Golden Cop. Which was interesting because Mark Leonard playing the Romulan commander in TOS became a best known for another character himself. That's right. Mm-hmm. And wow. Our, our very own Leslie Hoffman has worked with Mark Alamo many times on Deep Space Nine. And on Sunday's episode of Sun Trek, we're going to talk a little bit about some of her experiences working with, uh, with Mark. Um, also, uh, the final thing I want to mention about this episode, the Romulan Warbird that the Derrick's class made periodic appearances in the Star Trek franchise after this episode. It was rated by Space.com as the ninth best Star Trek spacecraft. In particular, they noted its debut on cloaking before the Enterprise 1701D and the Romulan's half-century isolation. And, of course, the classic line delivered by Mark Alamo of, We're back. So that Uh is the quick synopsis for the episode. If you guys don't remember, here is the trailer. On the next episode of Star Trek, The Next Generation. Commander, look at this. The crew discovers frozen survivors from the 20th century. What's going to happen to us? In the middle of a perilous mission to confront arch enemies. You think that we attacked your outposts? Could this feared encounter spark an explosive battle? I recommend we go immediately to battle stations. Find out on Star Trek, The Next Generation. And of course, Worf recommends we immediately go to battle stations. That's what Worf just, what he does. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, as always. <laughs> that's like, so, uh, as usual, uh, we like to include you guys, the fans, as much as possible. We like this to be an interactive live show because hey this is more than a podcast it's blog talk radio so i posted on our facebook page and asked the fans to score this episode on a scale of one to ten with ten being the best and eric what did our facebook fans have to say about the neutral zone we're featuring five of our top fans this week top fan bernard jeffrey said eight purely because the romulan return and warbird reveal was so epic so true uh, top fan Peter Jan says, a solid 10. Those shoulder pads are so impressive. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, Anne-Marie Segal says, 10 or higher. Let's get some low-mileage pit woofies and celebrate it. Does anybody know what pit woofie is? <laughs> no. 
It's funny. I don't know what it means, but I love it. Um, top fan Brennan Colbert said a five, and and top fan Joe Mac McShane said seven. Wasn't a fan of the B story involving the humans, which actually I think of as the A story in Stasis, but the <laughs> foreshadowing of the Borg and the Romulans was great. So there you go. Uh, when you add that all up, all of our fan scores, and you divide by the number of fans and you get your average, we're looking at a fan average of around eight for this episode. Yeah. So let's let's talk about this episode, uh, which is cool. fun to go back and revisit these old episodes. Um, mm-hmm. I do want to say something that I've noticed. Um, I've said this in the show before. I'm not. I usually don't go back and rewatch a lot of of these episodes. Um, I don't know why. I just remember them. I just so I don't do mm-hmm. it very often. Um, but but when we when I do, I enjoy it. But I noticed something going back and watching these two and the two we're going to talk about next week, and that is. I hear, I hear a lot of fans will complain that they don't like the car and they don't like Discovery. And I, I, I got to say one thing. I noticed, and I'll see if you guys as agree with me, a tremendous difference between TNG, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise episodes, and Picard and Discovery episodes in the fact that when I watch these episodes of TNG, they feel incomplete to me. Like... Um, you know, they thaw out these people and they fly away. And we never, the pit wolfies and stuff, they're, we, they're just left and gone. You know, they rescue a Romulan from a planet and they fly away and they're gone. Um, yeah. They never, they, well, they that never like seem to. That was like the original though. They did that in the original. They, it was a one week thing. That was it. Yeah, they never seem to come back to or wrap up. And I'm not I'm not saying that as in a negative way. I'm just saying that when I watch Discovery and Picard, those story threads are picked up maybe three, four, five episodes later, but they're usually picked back up again. And on these on on TNG, they're just never ever mentioned or thought of ever again. And I, I noticed that glaringly. Because I'm yeah, used to watching yeah. the new Star Trek, so but that's okay. I just wanted to mention that. Yeah, so I mean, I thought, oh, go ahead, Charles. That's why they thought DS9 was not going to be as successful as they thought. <clears throat> because yeah, of the story because Deep arc, Space Nine. DS9 did. Right. Nine yeah. Enterprise did some story arcs in there, which let stories go for several weeks. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that Star Trek as next generation could have used to their benefit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I I also think that next generation, uh, next generation and Discovery are exactly the same because I think next generation did for Star Trek uh, what Discovery did for Star Trek, and that was twenty five years later. TNG comes along and brings Star Trek right back up to the top again and shows exactly mm-hmm. what Star Trek's capable of. And Discovery did that again 25 years later, came back and said, whoosh, we can raise the bar up to here. And they did. So back to this episode, before I ramble too far, this episode starts <laughs> off with, um, with a piece of space junk floating through space. Data wants to mm-hmm. beam over. Worf wants to blow it up. And, uh, 
data beams <laughs> over there with Worf, and they find these people frozen. Of course, they saw them out, and that's when the pit wolfies show up. And we have all kinds of interactions with these people, and we get to see the one guy who wants to worry about his money and his stocks and his bank account and all this other stuff. And uh, um, the pit wolfie guy who, who's like, like I don't know, some drunk uh, rock star type of character, and then just yep. a housewife type of character. And okay, how I they're dealing pit wolfie, with pain. <laughs> so so that sets up the episode But while this is all going on We have an incursion on the neutral zone And several outposts mm-hmm. have been scooped up uh, As you heard in the prelogue by the board But that was dropped because of the writer's strike So that was never addressed at that point But the Romulans did show up in their nifty new starship And we get to mm-hmm. see it for the first time And you jump off the couch Oh my god, that's so cool <laughs> And we get to see a Romulan <laughs> ship and the new Romulans. Incredibly awesome the way they appeared. And this this episode is a fun one. I, I enjoyed going back and rewatching this one. Um, it was a lot of fun. It was a light episode. Um, and, and it was just fun seeing Mark Alamo play a Romulan, having them make their threat when he says, we're back. It was All around, it was a great and a fun episode, and I enjoyed it. I liked the A story. The B story, I don't know what you want to call which, but I like the story with the Romulans coming back, and I like mm-hmm. the story of these ancient characters having to deal with being in the future. So I enjoyed this one. How about you, Eric? Yeah, I thought it was pretty interesting. I definitely called the A story the one about the space junk and the people uh, because the the sort of Romulan stuff, it kind of you know, rears its head a little bit at the beginning, but then you're really, you're like 36, 37 minutes into the episode before the Romulans show up and you kind of get that, that big reveal. So uh, I would say most of the story is pretty good. You know, I, I do think it's an interesting concept of kind of waking these people up several hundred years afterward, I particularly like the guy who is all worried about his money. And he realizes he wakes up in a society that doesn't care one bit for whatever his money was back when he went to sleep. I just think that is, that's just so cool. (laughs) Um, I don't like the story, honestly, about the woman, because what we kind of find out was that she didn't even know she was getting frozen and that her husband right. like purchased a freeze package for her and, and had her put on ice when, when she died. And so, you know, that wasn't necessarily something that was her wishes. Uh, and they talk about it a little bit uh, during the episode, you know, the, the one guy with the, with all the money talks about the different companies that were available during that time and how some of them were going out of business because they were having technological problems and da 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 da. Uh, apparently, this woman's husband thought that, well, maybe she'll want to wake up in the future, so let's force her to be frozen. Um, and so I didn't, I didn't care for that story. I think that you know we could probably go into that yeah. a little deeper if we ever wanted to, but basically, somebody being forced to do something against their will. I'm not really into that. The two dudes I thought were hilarious, though. The rich guy and then the the, the rock star slash country guy, I guess, who is, yeah. um, who is completely enamored with data. He wants to make data his side man, which I think is just hilarious. <laughs> and he's like, maybe everybody in this – what's that? I was say he died because he, he didn't take care of himself. He partied way too hard. I know. He wants to go right back at it. 
Isn't that funny? He just gets, in fact, remember the first time he steps up to the replicator, he, he like, he, he orders a steak and potatoes and greens, and he's like, no, nah, cancel that. Just give me a martini with two olives. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Data kind of gives him the up eyebrows. <laughs> anyway, uh, I enjoyed this episode. You know, I don't think it's like a super high quality one, but it is kind of cool to use the Romulan reveal at the end of season one to propel people's interest into season two. Um, I think mm-hmm. we all know that season one isn't like the the best of all TNG seasons, but it does get the series started <laughs> and it introduces the characters and, you know, mm-hmm. having, having kind of an old time villain show up at the end of the season is pretty cool. So yeah, overall, I like this episode. How about you, Shannon? Well, I told you I was slacking on my homework, but I did watch all the episodes last year and I've been had this on in the background while I've been talking to you all. This is one of those episodes you just remember seeing because the impact of just the different things going on, like you're talking about the characters. And right now on my screen at when you asked me that, the woman wakes up and sees Worf and passes up. Yeah. Funny. Yeah, but funny. I love TNG, but I don't think of it like a funny show, but this episode is just really funny. It was. There was a lot of humor in it. It, it. You know what? It reminded me of Star Trek Four because the humor in the movie, the, the humor in the episode is, is um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Help me out here, Eric. The humor is um, relevant to what's going on and not intentional humor. Like oh, Star yeah. Trek Four. Sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah, you know? contemporary. Yeah, just what's going on right now. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It was funny. I agree, Shannon. I laughed a lot in this episode. <laughs> Very funny. Yeah. And Charles, you get to bring up the caboose on the neutral zone. Well, I kind of look at this episode and thought it's interesting when you look at the first episode, first, first, the first TOS episode with Romulan, and then the first TNG episode with Romulan. And they're both dealing with the issue of bases being destroyed. Now, we're given the impression the Romulans destroyed the bases to show power in TOS, and we're not sure what was going on in TNG. But it made me kind of wonder what kind of weapon could be coming out to destroy these bases. And I thought that was an interesting part of it. Something else for Uncle Jim, but uh, the other offshoot of Star Trek on Fox talked a little bit about this. Of well, what would it be like going back? How is the future going to look at the past? Well, this episode we looked at the past, trying to look at the future. And when you're sitting there looking, it's like well. How are people going to react if they revive themselves from the past and come to the future? And how life has changed. Oh, we're worrying about so much about money. And money suddenly doesn't mean anything. Oh, a big rock star. And yet rock stars aren't that, well, aren't that big of a thing from what we see in most Star Trek episodes. Somebody that's famous really doesn't have as big a demand as they did in the past. 
They did a thing, the housewife, who could sit there and say, okay, my life wasn't that much, and yet she can see changes of what's going on in, in her family from generations on. And what yeah. it like to reappear later on in it. So I think there's an interesting point of view from looking at people. How would people from now look at life then? And everybody missed what I thought was the most important well, fact. We're going back to that. In- yes. Oh. Yeah. Were you going <laughs> well, to? Are you going to talk about the? Di- are you going to talk about the difference in the Romulans? No, I was going to talk okay, about data. Data telling the pit whoopee guy, whose name I can't remember, the rock star guy, when he said, let's sit down and watch some boob tube. And Data's like, what? And he says, television, the telly, boy. And Data's like, oh, well, that, that form of entertainment ceased to exist in 2040. Yeah, so, that's just a few years away, guys. We have 19 oh, wow. years of wow. television, and then, and then it won't gone. exist. And Think about that for just one second. I think that right now we're seeing the death of television because everything is streaming. I think that maybe that 2040 date might not be inaccurate. So you're, prob- I you're to probably that out right. There. I mean, and the you know. go ahead, Jim. I, the, I but before we go, let's make sure and talk about the difference in the Romulans because that is a big yeah. That's go, yeah. Jump into that. Yeah. One. Yeah, so so last week we talked about uh, the two TOS episodes, including Romulans, that that we discussed, and and one of the points that we made was that those Romulans are not necessarily treacherous, right? They're actually shown as pretty honorable. You think of the Romulan commander uh, and how he's very honorable, how he enjoys this kind of chess match with Kirk throughout the episode. And you don't get the idea that these folks are sneaky and diabolical and that sort of thing. This episode, I think, sets up a very different Romulan from the Romulans that we see in TOS. And I think it's kind of interesting because, you know, of course, we they set up here that it's been, I think, 53, 54 years. Data gives us, gives us a figure since we've seen mm-hmm. Romulans. And um, that is not as much time as it has been since TOS. So there was some, there's some time between, you know, the TOS Romulans that we see the last time that we supposedly had contact with Romulans and when they show up in TNG. And we find out that there's been this actually, like, I think what they're setting up here is maybe a societal shift. I think the Romulans are a little bit different. Um, I love the fact that T-Bock, who's the commander in this one, you know, he calls Worf, he's, he says something to Picard, like, call off your dog or something like that. Huh. So you get this, yeah. like, really, like, racist the kind of edge coming from the Romulans now that we didn't necessarily have from TOS. Um, so mm-hmm. I just think it's cool because, and then not only that, but then when their ship shows up, it's like, it's like four times the size of the Enterprise. And the Enterprise is like twice the size of the original Enterprise, right? So these ships are massive and intimidating. Um, mm-hmm. So the Romulans that we get here are, are pretty different, I think, from TOS Romulans. Of course, they're the Romulans that I think we all come to kind of think of when we think yeah. of Romulans, <laughs> mm-hmm. but, but very different. Well, the one thing that you have to take into account here 
which we don't find out until the third season of TNG, or the fourth, much later, is the fact that the Enterprise goes back in time. Tasha Yar leaves the Enterprise and ends up being captured by Romulans, and the Romulans are, are able to develop these super starships based on Tasha Yar's uh, knowledge of the future. And I think that's where the yep. Romulan warbirds come from. So that whole time span where they're absent is because they're working on all this great stuff that they got from Tasha Yar when she went from the alternate universe where she to the prime universe and that whole time jumping mm-hmm. uh, shenanigans thing that happens in yesterday's Enterprise, mm-hmm. um, which is pretty cool. We, we didn't know that at the time. But now no. we look back and we know what was going on during the time of their absence. Which oh, yeah. is, you know. By the way, the country music guy's name was L.Q. Clemens. Mm, L.Q. Ah. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe that's a good show for CBS All Access to come out with. The Data and L.Q. show, and they can sing country music with pit whoopies. <laughs> well, at least it's short track. Come on. Yeah. Yeah, short track. So, uh, Eric, uh, scale of mm-hmm. one to ten, how close are you to what our fans said it was? They gave it a uh, Yeah, I think I'd give this one a little bit lower score for myself, probably something more like a seven to a seven and a half. It was solid. I didn't have any big problems with it, but also I didn't feel like anything really big happened. So, uh, yeah, I'll give it a seven and a half. And how about you, Shannon? What do you think? I swear that was a number I came up with before. Um, it's seven and a half, but because I, as much as I enjoyed this, I don't usually go to Star Trek for humor, you know, mm-hmm. but it's very memorable. So that's why it gets, doesn't get a lower score because it, I don't think there's a lot of story in it, but it's just very funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's enjoyable. I, I agree. It's a fun, enjoyable mm-hmm. episode. Especially the pit whoopies thing. That just cracked me off. <laughs> I um, had to look it up. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Charles, how about you? I think I'll go with a seven and a half because <laughs> this, compared to, what, compared to other seasons, this didn't really feel like a season finale. With so many great cliffhangers we've had and season endings. This one just kind of had a finale. And that's when you kind of get the idea, oh, the Romulans are going to be big in the series. And yet, I'm not sure the Romulans made the big shift that they were supposed to be. We get Romulans, but nowhere near, I think, what we could have thought at this episode. And and I, I think I'm right, right around there with you guys. There's a lot of better episodes this was not a bad episode and it wasn't like Spock's brain where you want to forget you ever saw it. It was just a, a right there. Code of honor. Come on. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah code of honor. All fun, <laughs> enjoyable episode. So yeah, I think a seven, you know, seven and a half is right, right about where it needs to be. Nothing spectacular, nothing terrible, just, just an enjoyable, fun episode. So, Hey guys, we're going to take our, final commercial break of the evening when we come back we're going to talk about the tng episode the enemy don't touch that dial it's been a long road getting from there to here it's 
been a long time, but your time is finally here. You can feel the change in your thoughts right now. Nothing's in your way, and they're not gonna hold you down no more. No, they're not gonna hold you down, cause we've got faith that you'll call. We wanna hear what you have to say. We've got faith to believe in just talking today. You've got faith in your fingers. All you gotta do is sound down. You can reach us right now. We've got faith. We've got faith. Faith that you call. And we're back, and I like to pull that one out every once in a while and, and play that one for you guys because Eric did such a great job with that one as well. And we do have faith. And it made me laugh really six, hard. Four, six, <laughs> <laughs> six, four, six, 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 eight, two, four, three, three. Okay, guys, we're going to be talking about the enemy. It's the seventh episode of the third season of Star Trek The Next Generation. It's the, 55, the 55th episode overall. And it was first broadcast on November 6th of 1989. The episode was noted as one of the top episodes about tolerance. In this case, highlighting the tension between the Romulans and the Federation. In 2019, Screen Rant ranked a character introduced in this episode, Bakra, as the sixth most important Romulan in the Star Trek franchise. In 2020, Sci-Fi recommended watching The Enemy as background on the Romulan alien for Star Trek Picard. Uh, it was the first of four appearances by Andreas Katsalas as Romulan Commander Kamalak, who would appear to be a thorn in Picard's side over and over and over again. And uh, Charles, what did our fans have to say about this episode? Okay, well... Most of our fans, one person who was a bit opinionated was Ian Huey. 9.5 shows that even the hardest of enemies can find common ground. The rest of our fans, top fan Mary Ellen gave a 6. Eric Hartnell gave an 8. Dan Marcus Kruger gave a 9. And Andy Scott gave an 8. Giving an overall fan opinion of our film, an 8.7. 8.7. And before we talk about the episode, I'm going to play the trailer for you guys, and we'll dive right in. Next time on Star Trek The Next Generation, Jordy is missing in action on a deadly planet. Jordy! Mr. Wolf, launch the probe. A violent storm blocks the crew's desperate search to find him. Will he survive? I can't see! And his fate lies with the enemy. You are my prisoner! On Star Trek, The Next Generation. Now, whenever I post these on our Facebook page, I always put the YouTube video of the trailer in there because a lot of fans, myself included, confuse this episode with the ending of another fantastic episode that we're going to talk about next week where a bunch of Klingons decloak around the Romulans. That is not this episode. 
okay? <laughs> the one we're going to talk about next week. next week. Yes, next week is that awesome episode. But this one, this one, I love this one. And what I liked about this one is the fact that Worf hates the Romulans with a passion. And the one uh-huh. Romulan that they, that they rescue is going to die. And the only way he can be saved is by getting a blood. Oh, you know, I should have played a spoiler alert, but you know what? If you haven't seen this episode after 25 years, I I don't well, know. To be to fair, say. we should have played that for the last one, too, if you're going to do that. So. <laughs> yeah, I should have. So anyways, I'm old and senile, what can I tell you? Yeah, um, it's okay. But anyways, I thought that Worf's reaction to the Romulan uh, was just was, was, was incredible. And hmm. what I liked was the fact that um, Worf goes down to see the Romulan and you're thinking to yourself, well, maybe Worf is going to save this guy. Maybe he's going to, going to do, um, I don't want to say the right the thing, honorable thing. He's going to, he, he's going to do the right? Federation thing and he's going to set aside his feelings and save this guy's life to present, to stop a war. And when he goes down there, I'm like, he's going to do it. He's going to do it. But then the Romulan grabs him and says, I'd rather die than have your Klingon filth flowing through my veins. And I'm thinking to myself, well, there you go. Now you got to give him the transfusion just to piss him off. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Worf didn't do it. Worf didn't do it. And then one of the most powerful scenes for me comes at the end when the guy is about to die and Picard summons Worf and Worf goes up to his yeah. ready room. And I thought that that I really thought Picard was going to say, Worf, I order you to save his life to stop a war. Picard did not do that. And Worf says, if you order me to, I will. And I'm like, well, mm-hmm. Picard's going to do it because the Romulans are going to attack. But Picard didn't cross that line. And I really thought that with everything going on, Worf would have done that on his own. But Worf let him die. And and Picard didn't order him to save his life to stop an impending war. So I, for me, the whole conflict between Worf dealing with the death of his parents and Romulans have no honor, and that whole thing was just so powerful and awesome for me. I I loved it. And what makes this episode so spectacular for me is while this conflict is going on aboard the Enterprise. We have Geordi trapped on the planet, and we have the exact opposite thing happening on the planet where these two have to trust each other. They, they do trust each other, and they help each other escape. So on the Enterprise, we have Worf letting a Romulan die because he's filth. But on the planet, we have a Federation and a Romulan working together to save each other. And it was a great contrast. I love this episode. I thought it was beautifully written, beautifully acted. Well done all the way around. And uh, Eric, what did you think about it? Uh, Jim, I am right there with you. I put this in definitely my top 10 episodes of all time of Star Trek. Um, Probably my top five of TNG. It is so good. Um, You know, the, what the part that you were just talking about with Worf um, and him kind of displaying what I will, what I will call bigotry uh, against the mm-hmm. Romulans, you know, he feels is very justified because his parents were killed by Romulans. And that's, you know, that's clearly established. But, you know, 
Beverly, when he's talking to her, or when she's talking to him, says something that I think is very poignant. She says, that wasn't these Romulans. And that's one of those things that just kind of makes you go, oh, yeah. Hating an entire race of people because they are that race of people because one of them did you wrong is irrational, right? right? And that is where Worf ends up. And I totally agree with you, Jim. I thought for sure that I remember the first time I ever saw this, I thought for sure at the end of the episode, Picard was going to order him and he doesn't. And I think that that goes to show what type of leader um, Picard is, which is that, you know, he's seen in Star Trek Picard as being somebody who has a lot of hubris. You know, the, uh, the Admiral there wars, uh, calls him out and, uh, you know, sheer effing hubris. Well, the fact is that uh-huh. he actually does rely quite a bit on people making their own decisions. The people under his command are guided in particular ways, but they're not told what to do. They have to be able to make these decisions themselves. And Picard knows that if he was to order Worf to do that, that, you know, Worf would lose a certain amount of trust for Picard because Picard wouldn't be going along with the Klingon's wishes. Um, so I just, I love that fact um, that they show Picard's management style, I'll call it, uh, in that moment. Um, there's so many other good things to say about this episode. I mean, them down on the planet, the the way that they interact with each other, the performance that LeVar Burton gives, you know, he, he falls down this giant hole. You see him do some engineering where he, uh, he kind of fashions these climbing spikes to climb his own way out of the hole, only to get clonked over the head by this Romulan. But uh, he uses his own kind of, you know, Geordie brand of um, sarcasm and an offhandedness maybe a little bit to actually, I think, draw the Romulan in a little bit. And of course it isn't until Bakker gets smashed by all the rocks that he kind of has no choice. He sort of has to get along with him uh, in some ways. Um, The growth of the relationship, the incremental growth of their relationship over the episode and the lessons this episode teaches just with regards to you know, bigotry and hating people for who they are without actually knowing who they are at all, I think resonated with me pretty hard when I was uh, originally seeing this episode, and I think it's something that just keeps resonating today. So love, love, love this episode right up there in my top echelons of TNG episodes for sure. Yeah, and when Jordy says, I'm cranky when my boots are full of sand, and he dumps all the yeah. dirt out of his boots. He, out says, of his he says, I never, <laughs> says, I never lie when I've got sand in my shoes. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, Picard has a really good quote. The, probably Picard's, um, you know, best quote from this one is, he says, there are times to die for one's ideals. Do you believe this is one of those times? And that, that idea that at the very end there, these, these two massive starships facing each other down, guns pointed, and somebody, somebody has to be the one to trust. Somebody has to be the one to drop shields and de-escalate the situation. Because as he says at the end, brinkmanship is a dangerous game. And, you know, somebody has to de-escalate it or it's going to go over the edge. And Picard de-escalates it and it works. And that just, to me, shows, like, you can apply that to almost any situation in life, right? <laughs> you get really pissed off at mm-hmm. your spouse and, and, you know, you yell at them and they yell at you and da 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 Well, it isn't until somebody de-escalates that situation that anything actually gets done, right? So and, I love this episode for so many reasons. 
just imagine if Worf was the captain, it would have it would have been an interstellar <laughs> war by it because he wanted yeah. to blow him up. Yeah. <laughs> that would not have been good. First, but Worf was first episode ever. Yeah, I mean, this so. one shows where Worf starts, right? And then, of course, mm-hmm. we get Worf throughout all of TNG and Worf throughout all of DS9. And man, look where he goes. He goes from this guy to mm-hmm. that guy that we see in DS9, Commander of the Defiant. Ah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Contact. So cool. <laughs> Prepare for Remy speed. Perhaps mm-hmm. today is a good day to die. <laughs> so, uh, Shannon, what do you think about the enemy? Yes. I I liked it much better than the last episode we talked about. But um, it's one of the things that like I was watching an old Star Trek episode yesterday where I for as a child Star Trek always struck me as being not racist, which is one of the reasons I loved it. Because um, one of the original episodes, they said, you know, leave your bigotry off the bridge, basically. And so I was kind of surprised on this one when they just bring it right out front and say, no, we still have it. You know, we just don't act on it anymore as humans. Of course, Worf's not human, so they let him have his bigotry, but they don't force him to do anything he doesn't want to do. Right. And and it's it's unique, though. The thing, too, is because Worf is the only Klingon. In Starfleet, yeah, he's extremely unique in that aspect. So, you know, by Picard not forcing him to do it, like Eric said, Picard could have said, "Look, these Romulans are going to attack. You will give him yeah. the blood so that we don't have a situation." He didn't do that, and I think, I think that that really helped to solidify, you know, Worf's admiration and respect for not only Picard but the Federation and humanity as a whole. Yeah, I do think they really tried to respect the differences. Sorry, because like when he hurt, broke his back and he wanted to die instead of getting it fixed because he didn't want to live as an invalid um, Mm -hmm. at that point. And they tried to respect his beliefs. And so I think that's important that even though he's different, they try to let him, you know, incorporate that into who he is. And Picard still let him be himself. Yeah, he says in this episode that he's constantly weighing the needs of the many against the way the needs of the few. And I, I mean, how much more Star Trek can you get than that? <laughs> That's right? one of the classic exactly. lines, yes. <laughs> That's what this episode is about. It's about that individuals mm-hmm. are really, really, really important, even in the face mm-hmm. of, like, catastrophic consequences. It doesn't mean that the individual doesn't matter. Such a strong message. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a good one. And uh, Charles, you get to bring up the caboose on the enemy. What are your thoughts? Well, I thought this was definitely a very uh, Geordie-centric episode in him having to take care of himself. But it was interesting how much everybody focuses on how Worf was treating the Romulans. But let's turn the table. Look how untrusting... The Romulan was for Jordy. Jordy's trying so much to save them. The Romulan is constantly worried that he's probably going to be dying by the hands of Jordy. Jordy's going to sit there and do. They're, they're going to do. He's going to sit there and torture him. And realizing Jordy's just trying to save his own skin. But it rather shows how untrustworthy. The Romulans are. We talk about yeah. how Rorsch dislikes the Romulans, but we don't look at the fact that Romulans 
were very untrustworthy. The Romulan commanders willing to, willing to break a treaty and come across supposedly to save one of his crew members, not admitting that there was two members, two crew members on their ship that he denied ever knowing that there were, hmm. and yet I'm sure he knew there were two crew members and was willing to sacrifice one of them for whatever they were trying to do. So I think we proved the fact is that, yes, Worf has problems against the Romulans, but the Romulans sit there and prove that they kind of earned that issue because they are very untrustworthy and don't believe any that the Federation's out to do harm to them. What might be good is going to be something that's going to harm them, which is an interesting discussion and conversation as we move up from TNG to the movies to Picard. And I'd almost think that it might be fun to take a Romulan discussion all the way to Picard. Once we finish with Picard, I'd like to do a book review of The Dark Veil. Because we're going to get more discussions about Romulans and a lot of Romulan deception in there. I'm in the middle of listening to the audio book right now, and boy, this is a good book. This one's hard to put down. And boy, we get some good Romulan stories in here. Well, we got to remember that... Including a member of the PAL CR. Yep. That, that while this episode is, is going on, um, that the Romulan Empire... Uh, they're, they're, I don't remember who it was, but the Romulan Empire is in the middle of fighting a war with an alien race on the other side of their empire. Um, and I don't remember who it was. I don't think it's anybody we've ever seen or would ever know. So they were engaged in this huge conflict. And, and that might be why the Romulans changed from how we saw them in last week's TOS episode to what we see in the neutral zone and what we see in this episode, because like Charles said, Tomalak violated the treaty and charged across the neutral zone with no, Mm -hmm. he didn't care. And he went there to rescue a single crewman, like Charles said, not admitting that he knew there was more than one there and acting surprised when he found out that they actually had another one. So, Tomalak is not innocent. And what was that ship doing outside the neutral zone anyway? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, but Picard, Picard lets all of that pass and, and allows him to leave. Uh, but, yeah, the Romulans had no right being there in the first place. Tomalak had no right crossing the neutral zone in the first place. And so the Romulans definitely were in the wrong in this episode. They were the ones that were being deceitful. They were the ones that were that were caught with their hands in the cookie jar, and uh, Picard, I think, handled it very well. 
very diplomatically, very Picardly, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those situations where both sides are looking at each other and both sides know what's actually going on, but both sides are not actually talking about what's going on. They're talking about kind of like the level above that, which I think is just fascinating. Uh, Because I think, you know, one of the things that they really tried to do with the Romulans in TNG versus the ones we saw in TOS, I think, is they tried to model them more after what they're supposed to be modeled after, which is the Roman Empire. So they took this idea of an empire that believed, well, it was, certainly was the most powerful empire on the planet at the time. But in that way, I think that there was a lot of hubris and arrogance there. And of course, that's the way these new Romulans present themselves is with that. And then you look at their buildings that we see later in TNG and their Senate and everything. And that's very, very Roman, the way that it's all laid out. The, their ranks are all very Roman. So I think they just kind of leaned into their character development a little bit more because we didn't see a lot of Romulans in TOS. You know, we, we saw them in just a couple of episodes. Uh, it wasn't until TNG that we actually got to develop that idea a little bit more. And I think that's what's really special about these Romulans and why they become the ones that we think of when we think of Romulans. And, and also, I thought it was really cool how the Romulans had ridges mm-hmm. that they didn't look exactly like a Vulcan. I thought that yeah. was Yeah. And then of course we get the further evolution of that in Picard with the northern and southern ones, right. which I think is just another really cool like there's no reason that Star Trek has to be static through the years, guys, right? You can add to the story and you can always add a little bit more detail here and there and make the story just a little bit more interesting. So I totally agree with you, Jim. I, I love that, that they did that. Well, explains the, it because the makeup is different now because you can do better stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, the technology yeah, is way the, better. Yeah. POS had a low budget, and they had to work with what they had. So they threw shoe polish on some guys' faces and called them Klingons, and that was it. <laughs> and uh, they had pointy ears for Spock, threw them on, and said, now, now it's a Romulan. Because that's what And they put they the little eyeliner the on the guy's eyebrows to make him, yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, here. And, and that's what they had. And they did a great job with what they had to work with. And that's cool. But to hold the, the next century and a half of Star Trek to what was done with a low-budget show at the time, crazy. You got to let these people free, um, you know, to create and improve on a great idea. And I think they're, they did a great job. And I loved the Romulan new look. I thought it was so cool that they looked different than just Spock with with green eyeshadow. So, mm-hmm. anyways, before we before we run out of time, Shannon, what would you give this episode yeah. on a scale of one to ten? After rewatching it, when I did my whole thing, I would give this one an eight point five because I like how they developed the Romulans, and I think it foreshadows what we see. Later, and it can, it's consistent through the card. Yes, good, good call, good call. How about you, Charles? Uh, I was gonna say about an eight. I think Shan, I agree with Shan a little bit. I'll bump it about an eight point two. Definitely, yeah. we do see some Romulan effects here that we do see in Picard. Yep. Yep. And how about you, Eric? Uh, I put this one up even a little bit more, guys. Uh, I put this one up in the echelons of like a, you know, a must-see for TNG. Um, 
a la Measure of a Man or something like that. So I'm going to give this one a 9.2. Yeah, and, and I, I'm right there with you. I, I think about a 9 is about where I would put this one. Maybe a 9.1. It, it's definitely, I think, up there with some of the better episodes of TNG. Now, next week, next week, guys, you definitely want to join us because we're going to talk about some good ones. We're going to talk about an episode called The Defector. This is the episode where, where the two Romulan warbirds show up at the end and Tomalak is going to blow up the Enterprise and then, spoiler alert, uh, <laughs> Captain Picard says to Worf, hit it, and all of a sudden three Klingon Cavort-class cruisers decloak behind the Romulans. It's one of the most memorable scenes in TNG. We're going to talk about that episode next week, but wait. wait does he really say hit more. it? <laughs> I don't know if he said hit it, but whatever. Okay, second. That would be so funny. Um, that would be so funny. We're going to talk about is another spectacular episode called Face of the Enemy. Now, this episode, mm-hmm. I think, is very relevant to Star Trek Discovery and Unification Part 3. And we're going to talk about mm-hmm. that next week. So you guys definitely want to be here for that. It's going to be a lot of fun. We'll have Star Trek news, as always, and we'll have Star Trek birthdays as well. So please tune in next week. And I want to, before we run out of time, and that pretty lady says that our show is over, I want to take an opportunity Aww. to say thank you to Shannon for hanging out and Trek talking <laughs> with us. We always have a seat at the table for you, Shannon. Thank you very much for hanging Aww. out and Trek talking with us tonight. Well, thanks for letting me come on. <laughs> Oh, you're you're always you're always welcome. You're part of our family, and you're welcome yep. here anytime. So thank you, thank you very much for taking time out of your schedule to hang out and talk Star Trek with us, Jolan True. Oh. And of course, Jolan True. I, I I'd have to say, I, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't say thank you to Charles for hanging out with us tonight and being my right hand man all these through all these podcasts. So. Thank you very much for hanging out with us tonight, Charles, and Trek Talking. We really appreciate it. Oh, I always love talking Trek, and Romulans are a fun story to discuss right now. Mm-hmm. They do all the tie-ins to current seasons, so definitely. Yeah, there, there's a there's a lot lot going on with the Romulans, and we could probably do a lot more Romulan shows, but we're going to... Moving well, we'll talk about that later. And of course, I got to say thank you to Eric for working on that awesome theme for the uh, the incredible "I Have Faith That You Call" and just for hanging out and, and just just being part of our Star Trek family. So thank you very much, Eric. You better believe it. You guys are some of my favorite people on the planet. I have a great time. Aww. It's it's always fun. And I don't want to forget you and you and you and especially you, that guy in the land down under. Yeah, you, that guy right there from Australia. And let's not forget Patrick in Switzerland. We can't forget about Patrick mm-hmm. in Switzerland. And uh, we couldn't do the show without you guys. 35,000 of you. That's awesome. That just, wow. So my I, mind. I wish yeah. I could say I could say thank you to each and every one of you, all 35,000 of you, but it's not possible. So, I just got to say thank you very much for supporting us. We couldn't do the show without you guys, and we really, really appreciate your support. So thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. And let's see if we can get up to 37000 for next week. What do you say? You think we can do it? I think so. Uh-huh. So, uh-huh. yeah. So, uh, I, 
we're going to be talking about Romulans next week, but I think I'm going to switch gears up a little bit. We've done three consecutive shows on Romulans, and I had this little idea called The First and the Last. And I think we're going to start with Voyager. And I think we're going to review Caretaker and Endgame. Uh, And then we'll do, you know, then we'll do TNG, Encounter at Farpoint, and All Good Things. And we'll do the first and last episode of each Star Trek series, just to shake it up a little bit and and give you guys a little bit of, um, you know, not Romulans every week. So that's what we're going to (laughs) do. So anyways, Make sure you guys tune in next Thursday. Make sure you tune in Sunday night for Stunt Trucks with yours truly, Uncle Jim, and the one and only Leslie Hoffman, uh, 7 to 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Head over to our Facebook page, Trek Talking and Beyond, and help us push that 35,000 up to 37. Uh, oh, my God, we're really getting low here on time. So, anyways, I'm your Uncle Jim, and I want to say thank you very much for hanging out with us tonight. Thank you to everybody, and I want everybody to stay safe and be good to each other. Good night, everybody. Night, y'all. Night. Good doctor. Copla. Healing frequencies <laughs> are closed. Auto. All right, then. Everybody ready? Yes, sir. Yes, Let's fly. Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.